Good morning, everyone. I um, I just want to speak for just a moment about uh, what happened uh, this week. If you were watching Monday Night Football with Demar Hamlin, and um, um, I heard a very close pastor friend of mine, Bob Reeves, say this: such moments clarify spiritual realities. And um, when you feel powerless, prayer is powerful. And to witness both sides and people just dropping on their knees and calling out to God for for Damar and his his family was incredible to watch. And I think it's moments like that, right, that kind of recalibrate us at times. And it should, to show us how fragile and precious life is, that we should never take that for granted. And and my prayer through all of this, and and we're seeing um, definitely God be glorified through all of this, um, my prayer is that people would see that, how precious life is, that that Jesus conquered this world for us. That he said, even though you die, you live in me. And he gave us the security of, of eternal life because of his resurrection and because he conquered the grave for you and I. And my prayer is that we would we would see this as a, just not only a reality check, but realizing that um, life is precious, and that hopefully it will cause people to think about their eternity, and and to realize that Jesus holds that force because of His resurrection, and uh, and I'm just believing that God is going to continually use it for His purposes um, and His glory. So just always remember this. When you, when you feel powerless, that's okay. Because how many know we are ultimately not in control, but God is? And that's what prayer should do. Prayer should cause us to fall before God and realize, God, I am not in control, but you are. Is my life in the palm of your hands? Because if it is, you're secure. You're secure. So no matter what circumstance you may be facing today or how you may feel powerless in your situation today, we have God that we can access through his son, through prayer, to find security, to find strength, to find hope in a God that is living and a savior, Jesus Christ, who is with us, who will never leave us or forsake us. So let's just pray that God would use it and continue to use it for his glory. Amen. All right, that's my little message within a message. So um, we, are, we are looking at um, what does it mean to be rooted in Christ? One of, one of our prayers for you, Living Word, this year is that, um, that you would discover how important it is to continue your growth in Jesus Christ. I love Billy Graham. The late Billy Graham said this, being a Christian is more than just an instantaneous conversion It's a daily process whereby you grow to be more and more like Christ. And the question I have for you this morning is, is how do you know that you are growing in your relationship with Christ? What are the the metrics we use for growth? What are the metrics we use to know, am I really growing in the Lord? What are the metrics we use? Now, um, I don't know how many of you growing up, we did this in, in my house but you had a growth chart somewhere in your house. 
How many of you had that growth chart? We had it on our kitchen door. As you walked into our kitchen, you could, you know, you could chart how much you've grown over the past year, right? Now, as long as I stayed ahead of my sisters, I was glad. And uh, you could see, wow, wow, you grew a year, you know, you grew an inch in a year or two inches, whatever, whatever, whatever it was. We we could chart. There was a metric to chart our our growth. And one of uh, our greatest desires here at Living Word is that we help you in your growth. Not only your growth in, in, in Christ Jesus, but in, your, in, in our growth with, with one another. That we would actually do life with each other. And we need each other. Our walk with the Lord cannot be an individual thing. We need each other to help each other grow. So how do we know that we're growing? Now, let me, let me give you an example of this. Uh, for those of you that like to garden, you're, you're gardeners, you like to garden. Um, here in Wayne County, we know all about how to farm. Amen? This is a farming community. We grow the best apples in the world right here, Wayne County. Can I get an amen? We do. Hands down, second to none. Apples, we do it right. All right? We do it right. Um, my wife, Kathleen, has a small garden, and, and, and uh, I noticed it takes, it takes a lot of work. Those of you who like to garden, it takes work. Um, my wife, she loves plants. Uh, I've talked about this before. She loves plants. Our house looks like a jungle. So if you drive our house and the windows are all fogged and misty, it's because it's 95 degrees in there to keep the jungle, uh, to keep the jungle going. Um, we have a 20 foot fiddle leaf fig plant that's overtaking our home. I showed a picture of that to you before. Um, I think there's a spider monkey living in it at this point. I'm not sure. Um, but th- this is, she, 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 she loves to, 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 she loves plants. Now, this is how obsessed she is with plants. She has a soil moisture meter. How many of you know what that is? If you got, pl- see, some of you are just obsessed as Kathleen's. Um, what this is, is this lets you know when to water and how much water is needed to correctly water your plants. The moisture soil meter. Did I mention that she loves plants? She loves, she loves plants. She is a green thumb. She is very, very, very good at it. Good at it. Now, you can't garden and you can't have plants. It just doesn't happen. How many know that you say, I can't make anything grow? It just dies. It just, it just dies. I don't know how much water, too much water. Right? It takes work. It takes work. Now, we know that you don't have to do anything to grow what? Weeds. You don't have to do anything to, to, to grow weeds. So growing beautiful tomatoes and cucumbers, it just doesn't happen overnight. Now, you know you've done a good job by the fruit that you produce. So the question is this, how do we grow in our relationship with Christ that will produce good fruit? Now, I want to answer this question first. Before we get into the practical side of, you know, how do I grow? How do I grow spiritually? How do I, how, how do I remain consistent in my growth with the Lord and, and not become stagnant in my walk with the Lord? We need to answer the question of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And it's more than just going to church or believing in some Christian teachings about Jesus. It's more than just knowing about Jesus. Let me, let me read for you what Jesus says about what it means to be his follower. There are some incredible things here in this word that I want you to see that Jesus says. And we're, gonna, we're just going to dissect this. We're going to dive into this and really understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then within these words, Jesus tells us practically 
How do we grow continually in our walk with him? So let's see what he says here in Luke 9, 22 through 24. It says, And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and you must be killed, and on the third day will be raised to life. And then he said to all of them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. And listen to these words, verse 24. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Amen to God's word. So Jesus gives us a very clear explanation of what a disciple is. So let's break this down. What is a true follower of Jesus Christ? First of all, what we see here is a true follower of Christ is called. It's a person who who is called to come to Christ. And we answer the call to follow Christ. When Jesus called out to his disciples, he says, drop what you're doing and come and follow me. Jesus gives the call to everyone to come and follow me. So it's a calling. We are called. He calls out to all of us to drop what we're doing and follow him. A true disciple of Jesus is a follower. It's one who pursues a relationship with Christ and is proactive in learning more about Christ. A follower wants to know who their master is. A follower wants to know who is their leader. A follower wants to know if Jesus is my Savior and my Lord and I'm going to follow him, then I need to be proactive in learning more about Christ and allowing his spirit to reside in me. A true disciple of Jesus has taught. It's one who studies and learns God's word and what it means to be a follower of Christ. And we have the word of God as our instruction book on how we are to be taught to follow Christ. A true disciple of Jesus is a servant. It learns to put others before themselves. Jesus actually came not to be served, but to be a servant, to show us an example, to give his life as a ransom for you and I. And so a true disciple of Jesus is one that serves, that puts others before themselves. A true disciple, a follower of Jesus is a witness. And what do I mean by that, a witness? Well, a witness shares with others what Christ has done in them. This isn't a private thing. If anybody tells you, well, you know, my relationship with Jesus is private, just slap him in the face and wake him up. No, it's not. I'm teasing. Don't do that. It's not. When, when Christ has changed your heart, when Christ has forgiven us of our past, there's a new life that begins. And that's not, not something we keep to ourselves. Why did the early church grow? And why did it grow so vastly? Why did it grow so large? in the first century. It's because they all sat around and kept it to themselves. No, it's because they shared what Jesus did. The Holy Spirit empowered them to go out and be a witness of this changed life in Christ Jesus. So a follower is a witness of what Jesus has done in them. And every single one of you have a story. Every single one of you. Your stories might be different, but our stories are all the same is that we needed a Savior. And when we came to Him, and when we laid our lives down before Him, no matter how you got to that point, right? We all get to that point at some time. And we recognized that we needed a Savior to rescue us. And that's why Jesus came, to rescue us from our sins, and we can find forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And then a a true follower of Jesus Christ is a worshiper. It's a worshiper. 
And, and it, it puts Christ first in their lives, denying themselves in order for Christ to be glorified in their lives. And this is what it means. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So practically, okay, we say, okay, Pastor, I get that. I get what it, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But practically, how does it look? Because this is where we can get tripped up. This is where we can get stagnant in our walk. Listen, your walk with Christ should be something that's new. It's something that should be developing. It's something that should be exciting. It should be something different from what you did last year. There are riches beyond what we can even understand or comprehend when we continue to follow the Lord and allow him to use us. So, Amen. Amen. So here's, here's the thing I want you to see. How do I develop that in my life that it's consistent, like Billy Graham said? How, how can I make discipleship or following Jesus central to my life? And this is where we want to help you. And this is where we're starting these new 10-week small group experience called Rooted. And what it is, is it's just a 10-week, it's, it's more than just a discipleship group or uh, 8 to 10 people, 12 people coming together. It's, it, what it is, is it, it's, it's an experience of people doing spiritual life together. And not only growing in the Lord and growing in His Word, but growing with one another, being vulnerable before each other, and experiencing life together. The greatest thing about Rooted that I love is experiencing your spiritual walk, not only with God, but with each other. Now listen, Sunday morning is great, and we come together corporately, and we worship together, but where real spiritual growth can happen in your life is when you do it along someone else. When you're able to share your life experiences, and you hear somebody else share their story, and you're like, oh my gosh, how did you get through that? Here's how the Lord helped me. There's this different dynamic that begins to happen in your life and how the early church grew, we see some key signs of why the early church grew is because they met together in their homes. It was personal. It was relational. It wasn't like, just come in, hey, how you doing? Doing all right? How you doing? I'm doing good. How you doing? And that's it. And you walk out the door, get in your, get in your car and go out to breakfast, right? Is that church? No. Oh, it's so much more than that. They got together and they broke bread together. They had this relationship that was more than just, hey, how you doing? It was like, how are you doing? Amen. Let's sit down and talk about this. Let's pray for one another. And that's why the church grew. That's why the church grew is because they were doing life together. And that's what I love about the rooted experience. And so my prayer, my prayer is this, is that it would radically change the dynamics of our church, that it would change the dynamics of your life. See, what are the proactive things that we can do to grow consistently in our walk with Christ? What are those? Those are the questions we need to ask. And what we see in the early churches, we see these seven rhythms that were implemented in their life to have a healthy relationship with one another and have a healthy relationship with Christ. And this is where life transformation begins and where it's consistent in your life. And what we're going to look at in this 10-week study and the 10-week experience with one another is we're going to look at these, implementing these seven rhythms for spiritual growth. I'm going to give them to you real quick, and I want to focus on one of them because it's so important. This is going to be a consistent time with God. 
that we're going to come together and dedicate this time to one another. So what are these seven rhythms that we see? And we see this in the early church. The first one is daily devotion. Daily devotion. We see this consistency of having this time with God. Maybe it's your, we call it personal time with the Lord, a devotional time where you just read the word and you pray and you just get alone with the Lord and allow him to speak to you and just to sit in his presence. There's this daily devotion where I just set aside this time where I said, Lord, it's just you and me. There's all the distractions of the day, but there's this time that I just want to set aside and just think about you and learn from you and allow you to speak to me. There's that daily devotion. The second thing is prayer. How does prayer work in my life? We're going to talk about this. How does prayer work in my life? What are the key components of a healthy prayer life? Now, I know for most of us, prayer is a difficult thing because right, we, we start to pray and then two minutes into our prayer, we're thinking about something else like, oh, I got to do this and what's on this list. And then if, if, you have, if you do any kind of consistent prayer time, just take your phone and throw it in the backyard. Get as far away from any distractions because how many of you know if your phone's there, oh, oh, who's calling me now? And then you're like, okay, there goes the prayer time. We're going to show you on how to have have a consistent prayer life that's actually effective, that, that will give you the desire to want to be in God's presence and have him speak to you. We're, all going to talk, talk, we're also going to talk about this other rhythm of repentance. Now, that's a fun word. We all love the word repentance, right? But, but how do we overcome the hang-ups in our lives? What are the things that have gripped us to keep us growing in Christ? We will learn what true repentance looks like and how do we practice repentance. And basically, what repentance is, it's a change of mind. And there are many things, many strongholds that can easily be developed in our life that keep us from growing in Christ, that holds us back. And there's a, there's a, there's a whole week that we just spend on this, of thinking about those things that maybe have developed in our thinking, that, that are hindering us, from truly knowing the freedom that Christ desires to give us so we can walk in that freedom in him. And there are things, how many know it? It, it? it takes time for these things to grow and they can put their tentacles and their grip around our heart. And through repentance, it's a change of mind. I used to think this way, but now I think this way, that I'm a child of God. My identity now is in Christ Jesus. These things used to define me, but not anymore in Christ Jesus. And you're going to learn how to define those, to call those things out and not allow those things to keep you from having the relationship that Jesus desires you to have. They're serving. And what we see in the early church and one of these rhythms, spiritual rhythms, is serving. How can I use the gifts that God has given me to build up the church? God has gifted every single one of you with special gifts and talents for the building up of the body of Christ. It may be simple things like just making a meal for someone who needs it. It may be just those simple things that you say, you know what, God can use me in in this way to help someone else, to help build up the church. You realize the majority of the things that get done in our church are done through volunteering. People who care that say, oh God, I want you to use me to help do whatever I can to build up the body of Christ. So use the gifts that you have given me. Some of you just have the gift of hospitality. You're You're just good at hospitality. You're just good at greeting people. I don't want grumpy people greeting people at the door when they come in on Sunday morning, right? If you have, this, if you have the spiritual gift of grumpiness, that's not, that's not your gifting. We don't want you at the front. Right? But some of you just, you've got these gifts. They, they could be supernatural gifts. They could be just practical gifts that God has given you to build up the body of Christ. 
And then there's sacrificial giving. This is how we, we, we relate. How do we relate to our money and how does God view our money and how can we live free from its grips? We'll talk about that because that's such a stronghold in so many of our lives. And then we'll learn how to share your story and give you confidence in sharing your story of how Christ changed you. And we're all called to share our faith story. And I know for many of you, that's kind of kind of scary to actually share your story of how Christ changed your life. But every single one of you have a story of how Christ changed your life. And he wants you to share that story. We're going to help you to define that and to be able to share that uh, with confidence, without fear. The people that you come in contact with of how Jesus changed your life. And then the last thing is worship. How do we become true worshipers of God? And this is the thing that I want to focus on because if we don't get this one thing down, if we don't get worship down correctly, it's going to skew our walk with the Lord. It's going to hinder us from having the relationship that he desires to have with us. See, what the early church did is they did all things together. They met together. They struggled together. They prayed together. They encouraged one another. And we cannot walk with God alone. We need each other. And so I want to focus on, on these seven rhythms and why it's so important. But I, but I want to focus on this one rhythm of, of worship. Because if we don't understand true worship, we'll have an unbalanced walk with Christ. Listen to what Jesus says here. In Luke 9.24, he says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. That is all about worship. It's about where you place your affections. It's It's about the concentration of your mind and your life and what it is focused on. It's 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 not about divided allegiance. Jesus, you can have some of my life. But I also have this part of my life. It's a single focus, an undivided, pure heart that Jesus desires. That's what pure worship is. Laying our lives down for Christ is an ultimate act of worship. Worship is not simply coming together on Sunday morning and singing 20 minutes of worship songs. I hope you know it's so much more than that. See, understand this. When you worship something, you are giving your life to it. When you worship something, you're giving your life to it. So what did Jesus mean in verse 24? Well, while reading this at first glance, we might think Jesus means unless we give our lives literally, like physically. But this is not what Jesus meant here. Not in this passage. You see, the word for life Jesus uses is the word psyche in the Greek. Jesus doesn't use the word bios, which means physical life or physical body. The English word biology comes from bios. Jesus isn't talking about losing our physical life. What does Jesus mean here? What is Jesus talking about? You see, the psyche refers to the psychological life of the human soul. That is the mind, emotion, and will. What Jesus is saying here is very interesting. He's saying that we must die to ourselves and our way of thinking and abandon ourselves to him. That's the ultimate act of worship. Our allegiance are not divided. And what happens is when we completely give our lives to Christ and we abandon ourselves to him, he gives us a new identity. And if our world, if the one thing that everyone struggles with in our world 
with our identity. A huge identity crisis of who we are. You see, through Christ, what happens is we we receive this new identity. Notice that we do not find ourselves by trying to see it in myself. That's not where you find it. You'll be frustrated if you're trying to find it in yourself. We find it when we find ourselves in Christ. And so what Jesus is not telling us, he's not telling us to identify with what we do. So a follower that chases after Jesus says, I'm going to deny myself and my desires and what I want, and I'm going to literally die to them. I'm going to abandon myself to you. Mind, my heart, everything I give to you. We can't be half-hearted in this. So here's where we get it wrong. We are told to find our deepest desires and then do all we can to fulfill them. Find your deepest desire and then do all you can to fulfill it. How many of you know that's a bottomless pit? You chase after one thing, that's okay for a while, then we chase after another thing. This is why Jesus needs to be the center of our worship. If we're not proactive in this, something else will fill in the center of our worship. And we'll begin to chase after that thing, and we'll have a very frustrated walk with Christ. You will find your true identity in what you worship. You will find your identity in what you worship. Anything you chase after in this world will give you your identity. Understand this is fleeting and it's not stable. And here's the reason why. Let me explain why. If you put your identity in your kids, your job, your relationship, if any of them is not doing well, it will threaten your identity. Man, that's good preaching right there. Listen to me. The reason why so many times we are so frustrated is because we're trying to find fulfillment in what we do, not who we are in Christ. Follow me. Just track. Just follow me. Oh, it's so good. I need to hear this. I'm preaching to myself right now because I need to hear this. Listen to me. Something in this world is going to let you down and it will expose what you truly worship. So whatever that focus may be in your life, when that thing lets you down, it's going to expose what you worship. It's going to threaten your identity. It's going to threaten your existence. But listen, if our identity is in Christ, we let go of all that. We're not, listen, this is so good. We are not afraid now to be vulnerable, to allow people to see our messy side. Come on, pastor, keep going, keep going. This is good. Listen, listen. Because of this, my identity is in Christ because I know he's not going to leave me or forsake me. I know he knows everything about me, yet he still receives me. I can come to him with my flaws, my sins, and I can say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness here. And I know you're not going to reject me. In fact, you're going to forgive me and heal me. But if I'm trying to find my identity in things, and if I worship those things, then I'm going to have to put across these false pretenses to allow people to see that things are way better than they really are. That's frustrating. That shouldn't be in the church. That shouldn't be in the church. So if my identity is truly in Christ, then I don't have the fear of being vulnerable anymore. I don't have the fear of thinking that my life isn't perfect or my life is messy. Or there are things in my past that are messy that I need Christ's help in. And then we find the forgiveness in Jesus. 
And we know that he will never leave us or forsake us. Listen, Jesus is saying, build your life on me. So in Christ, we can be vulnerable. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to pretend that we have it all together. And we don't have to be fake. We don't have to be fake anymore. Why? Because my identity and my security is now in Christ Jesus. And I know he will always hold me. He will always lift me up. And he will never leave me. That is so powerful. And I hope that's freeing for some of you here today that you're struggling to find your identity in these things. So listen, listen, when you have an off day, that's okay. It's okay. When you didn't get the job promotion that you were you thought you were going to get, it's okay, right? You didn't score 20 points in the basketball game, it's okay, right? It's okay. Because why? Your identity is not in those things. It's in Christ who never leaves you or forsakes you or forsakes you, forsakes you. When we can get to that point as a church, that's when it becomes real. That's when we start to really grow in our relationships. Listen, I love Sunday mornings. It's great to come together. We can't do it here. We've got to take that next step and actually do life with one another and make it smaller. I love... Um, I just, I, I really appreciate Tim Tebow. If, if you don't know who Tim Tebow is, just very strong believer, him and his wife. And uh, Tim Tebow won the Heisman Trophy for college football in 2007. Um, played a little bit in the NFL. Got ostracized for his faith in Christ, for standing up. Some of you may know that. But what's interesting about him, he was the youngest to win it, the Heisman Trophy, and he won it in his sophomore year. Incredible. And what he does is, interesting, he, he auctions off his Heisman Trophy every year, and the winner gets to keep the award, the Heisman Trophy, for a year. And the annual auction of the Heisman Trophy has raised almost a million dollars for various uh, charities over the past decade that is close and dear to Tim Tebow. And if you know anything about him and his wife, they do, do incredible, incredible work. Charities and uh, their love for Christ is, is, is amazing. But here's an interview from Tim Tebow. Um, credible football player, but really was ostracized when he went into the NFL uh, for his faith in Christ Jesus. He said this, I love this. He said, there's definitely a piece of me at times where maybe not all of my identity, but pieces of it were definitely starting to identify as a football player, as a quarterback, as these things. So when that is taken from you, all of a sudden, he says, wait a second, who am I? He says, when you place your identity in what you do and it's taken away, then you're someone that needed crutches. And now I don't have anything to lean on. It's just so important that we don't place our identity in our own achievements, our own relationships, our own accomplishments, or even our own occupations. But our identity is found in our relationship with Christ Jesus. And I believe that that's what makes Tim Tebow and his wife just an incredible couple. Because what Tim did is found his identity in Christ and not whether or not he made it in the NFL. And it's obvious through his witness of Jesus Christ. See, this is what I love about Rooted. It's more 
than just coming together and going uh, week by week and studying God's word, um, doing things together. But what really what it's about, it's about relationships. And we need each other. We can't grow alone. And when we're able to identify in Christ and let that be our identity, then we are free to be vulnerable and be able to share with one another our struggles. If my identity is in Christ, then I can risk. I can risk being vulnerable. I can risk being real with people that I don't have to have it all together. One of the things that I loved, we did a, a rooted pilot group at our house with about 12, 14 leaders. And um, during that time, you share your story. And there's one person in our group, she shared her story about something that she never shared with anyone else. And she shared it for the first time with our group. It was such a powerful moment to hear someone trust a group of people with a deep scar a deep hurt from her past and share how she found healing in Christ and then being able to share with a group of people that she didn't feel that she was going to be judged by. It was a beautiful, beautiful moment. What I want to do is I want to show you just a short story of a woman named Leah. And um, Leah went through the rooted group at her church. But Leah battled with mental illness. And she was very afraid to go to her group. She was afraid this was going to be exposed and what would people think of her if she shared this with her group. And what she did was incredible. They were to share in their group something that made them unique. And what she shared about her, what made her unique, was her mental illness and what she struggled with. And her story is incredible about a group of people that gathered around her and loved her and let her express her vulnerability. That's when the church starts truly becoming the church and how we can care for each other, even in the messy things in our lives. So look at the screens and listen to Leah's testimony. When my husband said he wanted to join Rooted, I was like, oh, please, no. <laughs> because I didn't want to share my story. We went, and the leaders there were awesome, and they said, you know, we're going to split you up into groups of twos, and you're going to find out what unique qualities each person has. And the lady I was with said that she was a grandmother at, like, the age of 42. And she goes, what's your unique quality? And I was like, well, I'm schizoaffective with bipolar disorder. That's my most unique quality. And then she had to share my... My unique quality and she's all and I was partners with Leah and Leah's schizoaffective with bipolar disorder and everyone was like I've always known I was a little off like I used to ask my mom mom is there something wrong with me the doctors finally diagnosed me with schizoaffective disorder with bipolar disorder when I heard that I was sick I felt like I had betrayed my husband like he never would have married me if he knew that I was had this diagnosis that I was sick I started out still feeling guilty and shameful of my mental illness. So I'd spent so many years feeling this way. What if my daughter gets it? You know, what if my daughter gets mentally ill? And I felt so guilty. I was worried that people could see that I was mentally ill. I went to marriage for a long time, nine years. 
before we decided to do Rooted. My husband signed us up. He's like, we, we need another step, Liam. We need friends. And I just figured I'd just lay it all out on the table the first day and see if anybody runs. And everybody was so loving and warm. And, and the leaders came up and told me that I had set the tone because I had gone so deep and shared so deep that that they decided, each and every person decided they could share their deepest things. This group bonded. We all bonded. and. It was just amazing. A lot of times I viewed myself as having just being an illness. Since a rooted group and sharing the way that I did and becoming closer to God, I feel liberated and I feel like God has liberated me. I function as a normal person and I'm able to do that with God's grace. Can we thank God for that? What a, what a powerful... I want you to know that you don't have to do life alone. That we're here for you. That we're rooting for you. And you don't have to do it alone. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a sign up. We have a sign up in the in the lobby if you want to sign up for rooted for the ten week experience. It, it's it's a ten week commitment. It's going to be at somebody's home. But I think the blessings that will come from it will far outweigh any inconvenience in your life. So I want to encourage you as your pastor just to take a step of faith if you've never done that before. And we, we are for you and what God can do in your heart and life and that we want you to know you're not alone in your, in your struggles and that we need each other to grow. So yes, we're gonna we're gonna grow in God's word, we're gonna grow in all these different things, but we're gonna grow together. And we're gonna do that in small ways, in small groups. And I believe God can do a wonderful and will do wonderful things in your life when you commit those things to Him. So I want to pray for you and and just ask God just to speak to your heart in this way. You can go online. There's more information on our website about Rooted and, and these small groups. We're going to have a kickoff on February 5th after the second service and uh, have a meal together and celebrate and put you in your small groups and and meet your leaders and, um, and then experience these 10 weeks together in a small group and just expect God to do incredible things in your life as you commit this to him. And I believe that it, I believe that it can be a long-lasting, long-lasting results in your life if you commit to it. So, Father God, I thank you for loving us. I thank you, Lord, for never giving up on us. I thank you that all of us are at our different levels in our walk with you. We all have hurts and pains. We all have things that we've had to deal with in our lives, and we just need your help. Lord, I thank you for the body of Christ that we can walk with each other through these things. And I thank you, Lord, that when we are in you and our identity is in you, we can be vulnerable. And I thank you for that. So, Lord, I just pray that you would do something just unique in our hearts and our lives as we commit our lives to you, God. That, Lord, our spiritual growth with you 
It's not a one and done thing, Lord, but it's something that we need to be proactive and growing. So help us, Lord, to take those steps. Maybe even if it's uncomfortable, that's okay. That's good when it's uncomfortable. That means you're doing something. So help us to do that, Lord. So I thank you for our church. Lord, I thank you for every heart in this place today. I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. We just love you. We praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's children said...